Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the CBS News Roundup ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This is the CBS News Weekend Roundup. Coming up, Republican voters in Iowa have issues as they prepare to caucus Monday. The borders need to be closed. People are increasingly worried about inflation in the nation. It's painful to go to the grocery store. It's painful to go to the gas pump. In the Kaleidoscope with Allison Keyes segment, have people lost their grip on the dream of slain civil rights leader Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.? If we're just going to keep doing the same thing over and over again with King, there's no need to have King. I'm Allison Keyes in Washington. Days before the first major contest in the 2024 presidential race, all eyes are on Iowa as a Midwestern state prepares for Monday's Republican caucuses. The candidates are hot on the trail as a winter storm roars and bringing frigid temperatures. We asked CBS's Ed O'Keefe what's happening there. The issue here isn't that it's cold in the Midwest in January. The issue is it's never been this cold on a caucus night in January in Iowa before. So... How, after months of preparing to turn out voters across this tiny state of three million people who are asked to go to 1,600 different precinct locations and, and gather with their neighbors to make decisions, how can these campaigns assure that their supporters, no matter their age, and perhaps more importantly, no matter their level of enthusiasm, show up to actually participate in this in this meeting that begins the 2024 campaign. And, you know, part of the issue here is for all the attention for the 100 million plus dollars spent on television advertising in this state, just 186,000 people participated in the last competitive Republican caucus in 2016. And that was a record high. Put another way, that 186,000 equals 0.0005% of the American population. This very small group of people comparatively play a huge role in starting off America's picking of a president. I know that you have been out there talking a lot to voters. What are some of their top concerns? Are we talking abortion? Are we talking immigration? The big issue of concern for Iowa Republican voters is the same as it is across the country, the cost of things, inflation. We talk to them and they say, I noticed that the cost of orange juice or the vehicle my wife bought or the potential mortgage rate on a new home is much higher than it's been in years past. And we know that is true across much of the country. But in this state, more than a thousand miles from the U.S.-Mexico border, we've been struck that over and over again, People who show up to events for the various candidates tell us they are incredibly concerned about the situation at the U.S.-Mexico border and the broader issue of immigration into this country. 
They see the reporting and the reality on the ground that there have been record numbers of people crossing. But there's this fear, and it really is fear that people have of what this could mean for their communities. Even though there have been no bus loads or plane loads of immigrants sent to Iowa, they worry about that because they know it's happening in Chicago and New York and Denver and Los Angeles. And yet, this is a state that has at least one very well-known industry, farming and manufacturing and the service industries that rely on migrant labor. And some of it, undocumented immigrant labor. So for Iowans to say they're worried about it and they don't think it's here is to ignore reality. And that is that, you know, one of the state's biggest industries could not function were it not for immigrant labor. Beyond those two issues, yes, there has been concern raised about the future of access to abortion services. There is great consideration for things like whether the next Republican president would appoint sufficiently conservative nominees to federal courts. And there's an ongoing debate over what level of foreign policy should continue to exist, how much aid you give or supplies you give to Ukraine, uh, how Israel conducts its operations against Hamas, and how the United States interacts with or doesn't interact with China. Really briefly, Ed, uh, I know that the former president has, has a huge lead there. Are any of the other candidates gaining any traction? The issue isn't whether the former president will win, because every survey shows he's going to. The question is, has he built an operation big and sufficient enough to ensure that people show up at the 1,600 individual precinct meetings that constitute Iowa caucuses at 7 p.m. on Monday night? That's how you win in Iowa. CBS is at O'Keefe. Former President Trump spoke out in court Thursday during closing arguments in his civil fraud trial in New York City. CBS's Robert Costa says it's clear that he sees his legal battles as part of his presidential campaign. With his business empire at risk, former President Donald Trump was defiant as closing arguments were delivered in his New York civil fraud trial. It's a disgrace and they should pay me damages. That's the way it should be. In the courtroom, he decided to speak up and lashed out at Judge Arthur and Gorin and blasted New York Attorney General Letitia James, saying this has been a persecution, prompting the judge to interrupt, telling Trump's lawyer to control your client. This is a sham, and it's a shame. Thank you. The former president and his company have already been found liable for fraud, accused by James of falsely inflating the value of their properties, to get better loans and insurance deals. Now she is seeking a $370 million penalty and to have him banned from doing business in the state. This case has never been about politics. This case is about the facts and the law. And Mr. Donald Trump violated the law. With voting in the presidential race about to start, the GOP frontrunner says he sees his legal challenges as a part of his campaign. We have our best poll numbers, we have the best everything, despite this, and maybe because of this. Trump, who also faces federal criminal charges, says he intends to show up for those proceedings as well. Are you planning to show up in court? Yeah, well, I want to go to all of my trials. When Trump told me he intends to show up for many more court dates, it illuminated how his legal calendar is likely going to overlap with key dates in the presidential race. Meanwhile, Judge Ngoran says he will try to issue a final decision on the civil fraud case by the end of the month. 
Could Maryland's former governor be ready to jump into the 2024 presidential race? CBS's Christopher Cruz. Larry Hogan governed Maryland for eight years and was consistently critical of then-President Trump. He recently stepped down from the leadership of the third-party movement No Labels. That's being seen as a sign that he'll run for president as the group's candidate. It's not something I'm pursuing, but it's it's uh, you've got to leave the door open in case of emergency break glass. Last year, in an interview with CBS's Major Garrett, he said there might be an opening for someone like him. Right now, there are about 70% of the people in America do not want Joe Biden or Donald Trump to be president. And so if uh, if two-thirds of the people in the country really don't want either one of choice A or choice B, then I don't think you can close the door to, to C. Coming up, the pain of inflation in the nation. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Allison Keyes. Voters across the nation are saying inflation is their top concern as it ticked up unexpectedly this week to an annual rate of 3.4%. This is people are digging deeper for everything and they're blaming lawmakers for not helping the middle class. Las Vegas mortgage broker Joan Weber says the economy is not working for her or her customers hunting for home loans. The majority of people that are coming in today have way more credit card debt than they did four or five years ago. And we tell them, well, you don't qualify because you have too much debt. Weber, a Republican, says the stubbornly high cost of living means her company processes fewer mortgage applications. The last two years have been the worst years of our 10 years. I had to cancel my health care two years ago because it was $1,700 a month. That's almost as much as my mortgage payment. While inflation is off the highs of 2022, monthly budget items have continued to soar. Rent was up 6.2% last year. Auto insurance skyrocketed 20%. And dining out jumped 5.2%. If you were to describe the economy right now in one word, how would you describe it? Painful. It's painful to go to the grocery store. It's painful to go to the gas pump. But the view from the White House? Really good, but lots of work to do on behalf of American families. Lail Brainerd is director of the National Economic Council. She's the president's top advisor on the economy. We brought her this question from Weber. What are they doing to fix the economy? If it is so great, why does it need fixing? What's your response to that? Yeah, so we have seen inflation come down by two-thirds. There are certain goods where they still remain too expensive for Americans. We still need to do a lot of work to get health care to be more affordable. I don't know why, but Republicans have been resisting those efforts to bring costs down. You're saying that partially why inflation is so persistent, it's the fault of the Republicans? I'm saying that we're working really hard to bring costs down in the areas that matter most uh, to Americans. And in some cases, we really need Congress to work with us. Back in Nevada, Weber just wants results. I want this fighting to stop. 
in Washington, D.C. It's like mom and dad fighting, and we're all, all the kids are suffering. Our country is so divided. So what does this mean for interest rates this year? Well, inflation did tick up more than Wall Street was expecting, so you can be sure that the Federal Reserve is watching this closely uh, to time the first cut, which could come as early as this spring. But two members of the Fed recently expressed hesitation about cutting too soon. But the Fed is also mindful of cutting rates too close to the general election come November to avoid seeming partisan. Jolene Kent, CBS News, Washington. People's ire with politicians may be why some are ending up with their heads on tiny versions of slinkies. Bobbleheads, you see them on desks, dashboards, tables, and they let people know your favorite sports, entertainment, and other icons. So why not politicians? In Milwaukee, Wisconsin, there is a building dedicated to the figurines with a disproportionately large head mounted on a spring. The National Bobblehead Hall of Fame and Museum is now selling a new line of them, only available through their online store. Co-founder and CEO Phil Sklar. Which features six candidates, President Joe Biden, former President Donald Trump, and then four of the uh, more prominent candidates on the Republican side from uh, the election cycle so far, uh, Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy, and Chris Christie. And now that Christie has dropped out? I think his will be a collector's item. We're not doing as many of him because of that. The museum is in the middle of the political happenings this summer with the RNC in Milwaukee and the DNC in Chicago. And the Hall of Fame and Museum will be hosting a special presidential bobblehead exhibit this summer, showcasing the history of political and presidential bobbleheads. Jennifer Kuyper, CBS News, Chicago. Turning now to immigration and a CBS News investigation of how Texas is sending asylum seekers out of state after they cross the southern border. Tens of thousands have been sent to cities, including Chicago and New York, and nonprofits worked to make sure those places were ready to greet them. But our probe finds that Texas officials derailed efforts to help. CBS's Manuel Bajorquez. For years, Tiffany Burrow has helped thousands of migrants arriving in Del Rio, Texas. In April 2022, she became the first nonprofit worker to partner with the state on its new busing program. We were in agreement that this would actually help a lot of people. The program's first bus departed from here. We got a rare look inside Operation Lone Star as migrants signed waivers and received bracelets before boarding buses to cities led by Democrats like New York. But early on, Burrow realized there was a problem. Did you have a sense that state officials were trying to notify and give times ETAs and such? 100% no. The first bus that came here, did you know it was coming? No. No. Within days, Burrow contacted migrant advocate Amy Fisher in Washington, D.C. after the two were connected by a friend. She called me just like that. Eventually, Tiffany started saying, there is a bus coming your way and here's the ETA. As Texas added other cities, the network of nonprofits that Burrow would notify grew. And at her urging, Texas officials agreed to a curfew, so no bus would arrive between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. But in September of last year, a major shift. Texas officials told Burrow they would no longer be providing information that would allow her to coordinate arrivals. No more calling ahead, no more curfew. What was non-negotiable was not being able to notify when people were coming. Were you blindsided by this? I was very surprised. I was the one that was providing migrants for their buses. If we're not going to do this in a coordinated effort, then it really loses its usefulness for migrants. Burrow ended her partnership with the state. 
and Democratic mayors continue to struggle with the lack of coordination. I'm getting texts from our friends in the other cities saying we heard of people getting dropped off here that are lost, you know, and don't have places to go. In the middle of winter? In the middle of winter. In a statement, the Texas Division of Emergency Management told us the state is not involved in the coordination between nonprofits. As busloads continue to head north, when and where migrants will arrive is often still uncertain. Manuel Bajorquez, CBS News, New York. It seems that some young people need a little too much help these days, and employers are not pleased about what they're doing about it. CBS's Jen Clark explains. You may want to leave mom and dad at home if you're trying to get a new job. I'd like you to come and meet my parents. A new survey from Polefish of more than 800 managers finds that almost 40% of them prefer to hire older candidates. Why? Because 20% of recent college grads have brought a parent to their job interview. Where's my little girl? Two in five don't want to turn their camera on for a virtual interview. And 50% ask for too much money and show up inappropriately dressed. Is that what you're wearing? Experts say that that part of the problem is that these graduates had their education disrupted for two years by the pandemic. 60% of those managers surveyed say they'd offer more money and better benefits if it means hiring somebody older. They're also more likely to offer older employees more opportunities for remote work. Jen Clark, CBS News. Coming up, the escalating situation in the Middle East. We said very loud and clear there would be consequences. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Allison Keyes. Friday morning, an escalation in the Middle East amid the Israel-Hamas war as the U.S., Britain, and other allies responded with force to a wave of attacks on international commercial ships. U.S. and British fighter jets took off part of an air and sea assault on Iran-backed Houthi rebels in Yemen. The U.S. military says more than 60 targets were hit at 16 different locations, a coordinated response to dozens of recent attacks on commercial ships in the Red Sea. We targeted specific facilities and capabilities intended to degrade and disrupt the Houthis' ability to conduct the kinds of attacks that we've been seeing. And so we're still conducting the uh, battle damage assessment. Initial indications are that we had good effects. This is not part of the Israel-Hamas conflict. With Houthi leaders already promising to keep attacking ships, President Biden says the U.S. will not hesitate to strike again if necessary. The Pentagon says there have been 27 attacks against international commercial shipping since November 19th, despite multiple warnings to stop. And we said very loud and clear there would be consequences, and there were. Houthi leaders say they have been targeting commercial ships to support Palestinians during the Israel-Hamas war. Willie James Inman, CBS News, the White House. New criticism of Israel now from South Africa, which is demanding that the International Criminal Court investigate Israel for war crimes. Israel says it has an obligation to defend its people. As the fight between Israel and Hamas grips Gaza, Palestinian civilians struggle to find safety, food, water and medicine. Three months of relentless bombings have turned neighborhoods into rubble. The war has sparked criticism around the world, with South Africa now leveling claims of genocide against Israel. Please be seated. Its landmark lawsuit at the International Court of Justice in The Hague aims to get Israel to stop the fighting. Israel has subjected Gaza to what has been described 
as one of the heaviest conventional bombing campaigns in the history of modern warfare. But Israel rejects the allegations of war crimes, saying it must defend itself and argues South Africa is distorting the truth. If there have been acts that may be characterized as genocidal, then they have been per perpetrated against Israel. Hamas's brutal attack on October 7th triggered this war, and Israel vows never again. Hunting militants street by street, house by house, and through a maze of tunnels, the latest discovered in the southern Gaza city of Khan Yunis. We found in this tunnel hostage remains, hostage DNA. Hostages were held here in this tunnel system. More than 100 captives now held underground for nearly 100 days as the fighting above rages on. Tina Kraus, CBS News, London. Now to Ecuador, where armed gunmen stormed into a TV station Tuesday and live on the air pointed guns at the head of a TV anchor who begged on camera for police to leave the premises as the attackers accosted terrified staffers huddling on the floor. They were eventually rescued and police arrested 13 people. But Enrique Acevedo tells CBS the situation there is getting worse. And they were showing explosives and they terrorized the entire country, not just the employees of that television station, a state-owned television network here in Ecuador. We're in Quito, the, the, the city that hosts the government here, the, the, the capital of Ecuador, Guayaquil, which is the economic capital of, uh, of the country's so the the uh, vast majority of the violence we're talking about, Vlad, it really started on Monday after President Novoa, who took office late last year, declared a state of exception, declaring the war basically a war against uh, criminal gangs in this country, who he says are supported by Mexican cartels. Um, most of those uh, criminal gangs that he has mentioned and is now calling terrorist organizations he says President Novoa are supported by Mexican drug cartels. And after declaring that war and that state of exception, things really escalated. We saw the armed uh, gunmen take over that uh, TV station. But uh, they were also uh, you know, uh, doing random acts of violence in the streets, in uh, commercial centers, in uh, uh, prisons around the country, where they have basically control over the guards. And they kidnapped some of those, uh, some of those security elements, uh, demanding that the government backs down from w this war they've declared on, on criminal gangs. Uh, Ecuador has become really uh, a, a battleground, a, the front line of the war against drug cartels in South America, sort of what we saw in Colombia during the 80s. And what we've seen in Mexico in the last two decades is happening now here in Ecuador. Back in the U.S., a stunning week for football as Bill Belichick parts ways with the New England Patriots after 24 years and six Super Bowl championships. The team named linebackers coach Gerard Mayo as his replacement Friday morning. CBS's James Brown looks back on Belichick's career. For me, this is a day of, um, you know, gratitude and celebration. It was as graceful an exit as possible. Longtime Patriots coach Bill Belichick and owner Robert Kraft called the decision to part ways amicable. Coach Belichick will forever be celebrated as a legendary sports icon. And after unprecedented success, including six Super Bowl titles, recent years found the team in a slump over the last four seasons. I'm thrilled to be part of this organization and, and to be able to have the opportunity to lead this team. It was nearly a quarter century ago when Belichick first took the reins and the beginnings of a dynasty. 
a brilliant tactician and strategist, and he was paired with arguably the greatest quarterback of all time for 20 seasons. Tom Brady on social media, I could never have been the player I was without you, Coach Belichick. Yet there was controversy, deflate gate, a sign-stealing scandal, but they were short-lived. What does live on is Belichick's record. Two coaching legends have now left their iconic teams. Nick Saban stepping down at Alabama, Belichick departing the Patriots. Saban is retiring. Belichick has indicated he still wants to coach. Wherever he takes his talents, he made it clear where his heart lies. Um, there's so many fond memories and, and uh, thoughts that I you know, think about the Patriots and, and uh, I'll always be a Patriot. And most who know Bill Belichick know full well he is not ready to hang it up. Becoming the all-time winner as coach in NFL history is very important to him. And while his mantra to his players has always been, do your job, there's no question he can still do his job. James Brown, CBS News, Washington. There's a new feature in some post offices. The dressing rooms are equipped with mirrors and painted in the traditional canary yellow of La Poste, the state-owned postal service. If customers don't like what they see in that mirror, they can return the unwanted items without ever leaving the building. As much as 30% of the clothing ordered online in France ends up being returned to sender. If this pilot program proves popular enough, it'll be rolled out across the French postal system. Vicki Barker, CBS News, London. Coming up in the Kaleidoscope with Allison Keyes segment, The Legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. Welcome to the Kaleidoscope with Allison Key segment, where every week we discuss issues including race. This time we're commemorating what would have been the 95th birthday of the late Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in a divided nation facing a presidential election. Dr. Walter Kimbrough, former president of Dillard University, now at Rutgers, wrote an essay called King Day 2024 is canceled. Over, I guess, a number of years now, I've just watched people, to me, lazily use the same parts of quotes of King instead of really providing full context for everything that he spoke about. And, you know, a lot of times, even on college campuses, we have the same kinds of programs, you hear the same kinds of messages, and we don't really do a deeper dive into King, which, you know, has over 10,000 different speeches and different things that you could choose from and books and articles. There's so much, but we just pick a few things. And then out of those few things that we pick, we pick a few lines and we don't even fully understand that. 
And so if we're just going to keep doing the same thing over and over again with King, there's no need to have King Day, uh, particularly because of the challenges that we face in the nation. Now, I think that King Day really has to be much more of an activism type day where you're teaching people about the messages and then you're really getting out there and and doing some of the work that's being done and not just saying, you know, I have a dream. I mean, you know, over the next week or so, we're going to hear that that whole content of character piece a lot, particularly after Claudine Gay. And I'm like, you are missing the entire message of that speech. That's not what that speech is about. But that speech has been hijacked to be a weapon to say, see, she shouldn't have been hired because you just picked her because she was black. And King said it's about, you know, content of character, not the color of your skin. That's not what that speech is about. And no one ever talks about the fullness of the speech where he starts off in the beginning talking about America is always black Americans, a blank check (laughs) because the check has been marked insufficient funds. But you were talking about the fact that people aren't dealing with the full body of his work. What part of the I have a dream speech besides the America owes blacks a blank check are people not hearing? So it so it starts off with that. I mean, it was the entire march was a march for jobs and justice. So it was a broader, you know, conversation they talked about. They talked about um, he talked about in that speech how there were still issues with police brutality, which we're still seeing some of those issues today. He talked about, you know, how can you get, you know, people in in different parts of the country to vote if they don't think that there's anything to vote for. So it's a it's a range of issues that he talked about in the history of that speech is. I mean, it was a well scripted speech toward the end is when Mahalia Jackson from New Orleans shouts to him to say, tell him about the dream. And he goes off script and it goes into the preacher cadence and talked about, you know, I have a dream and all those kinds of things. That's the aspirational part. But the beginning of it gives you the, the reality of the challenges that black people were facing on that day in the 1960s. And so we forget about all those challenges and how we still see some of those challenges today. So that's the bulk of the speech. Uh, Michael Eric Dyson says that the best he says, we basically, you know, made Dr. King a one speech person. I have a dream speech. And out of that one speech, we take 34 words to talk about content of character and color of skin. And we say, that's King. Let's have King Day. And on King Day this year, you're going to see, you know, the same politicians say this is what we're trying to do. And it's like, yeah, they, they do that in the cloak of where well, we're getting rid of DEI and King would have supported that. No, it, I, I have a dream speech. King is saying basically he's having a call for reparations and we don't want to talk about that part of it. So you can't have it both ways. That was Dr. Walter Kimbrough at Rutgers University. Now we'll hear from Lottie Liebdula, co-founder of the Reparations for Slavery web portal. My story really begins uh, with a box that I found. Um, this is five years ago. My mother had died and I began to unpack some family ephemera and I found a little black book. I initially, I opened the pages and I thought, oh, great, you know, I'm a finance person. Here's somebody who is keeping really great records. And this looks like a really old book. But as I paged through it, I realized I was looking at plantation records. And this was something that was shocking to me. I had no idea that I had family that was engaged in ultimately slaveholding is what I found. And on pages 27 through 30, I found a list of 44 souls that my family, my ancestors had enslaved on a Mississippi cotton plantation. And it changed my life. I realized that everything I thought I knew about my family and also about the history of this country really needed a little bit of investigation. And I found out that much of what I thought I knew about my family history and this country's history was just wrong. 
And so I decided that if I was on this journey, then likely many other people would need the same information that I was finding out. So I decided to found this website for anybody else who, like me, had made a discovery and wanted to think, how do we heal this wound? You said there were 44 souls listed in this journal. Can you tell us something about some of them? They range in age. I mean, these are, these are human beings with names. One of the things about, I'll, let me back up for a second. <clears throat> Part of our portal involves what, what my partner, Brianna Cuffey, and I call reparative <clears throat> genealogy. We need to know who we are as families. And what I discovered when I met my partner, Brianna Cuffey, she's uh, much younger than I am. She's African-American. And one of the first things I discovered is she doesn't know her, who her family members are before 1870 due to the enslavement, you know, era. Now I have this book, which shows loss of slaves due to war, 1861 to 1865. This ledger shows names, ages, and values. So for some people, for the descendants of these 44 people, these will be the only, the earliest records any of them can find because normally in so-called slave ledgers, all you have is the sex of somebody and how old they are because in chattel slavery, of course, people are property. We are talking as the nation is commemorating what would have been the 95th birthday of the late Dr. Martin Luther King. I wonder what you think he would have thought of this project. I believe he'd be in favor, um, especially because one of the things we talk about, we try to deconstruct arguments um, that hold, honestly, I'll just call it out, uh, uh, structures of white supremacy in place. And one of those is the bootstrap argument. One of the, one of the things uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is quoted as saying is, It is a cruel jest to say to a bootless man that he should lift himself up by his own bootstraps. It is even worse to tell a man to lift himself by his own bootstraps when somebody is standing on the boot. That was Lottie Lee Abdullah at Reparations for Slavery. Hear more about Dr. King on the CBS News Radio holiday special, MLK, A Dream Derailed, on Sirius XM. Coming up, a chance at a piece of musical history. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Allison Keyes. Electric vehicles are becoming more common in cities these days, but there's a project in Tennessee meant to introduce them to other parts of the nation. WLVT-TV's Evan Lasik. Electric vehicles have become a big deal in recent years, popping up more frequently. Thanks to Roar Reimagined, anybody who is interested can test drive an electric vehicle for up to two weeks. The goal of the project is to give residents of the Appalachian region a little bit of experience driving an electric vehicle. Um, We also have a component that will supply electric vehicle charging stations to um, different potential site hosts in the region. So we're just kind of aiming to build a little bit more of a network and, and bring some electric vehicles and infrastructure to the area. While the cars are slowly becoming more common, Rural Reimagined hopes this new plan will spread even more information to the public. It just helps give people a little bit more um, knowledge about who we are as an organization and what we do, kind of, you know, what we aim to to provide to residents of the area. 
Tennessee Tech has partnered with East Tennessee Clean Fuels Coalition to bring this plan to life. They hope to give everybody a taste of electric vehicles while also paving a new eco-friendly road. The ecosystem will include the building EV infrastructures. We are actually building more than 250 charging stations in the rural areas. And we are aim to connect the electric vehicle technologies to our communities through different programs. For current EV drivers, many places throughout the country still do not have charging stations. There are not too many, sometimes, many times, in fact, zero charging station in the smaller towns, okay? And that creates a lot of problems. We all know firefighters are heroes, but in the Twin Cities, some are doing much more than putting out blazes. WCCO-TV's Derek James explains. When something breaks in Kristen O'Shea's home... We very much rely on others to help us out. ...leading to mixed results. We have had situations where I've been uncomfortable with other people coming into my home, and so the concept of this, of... Um, firefighters, I mean, they are the first people you call in an emergency or within your community. O'Shea has a toilet in need of repair. This time, she's turning to firefighter handyman's Jeff Piper. So, Jeff, how many years of fire service experience? Uh, formally, about a week and a half, but I've been doing jobs and working construction for 25 years. Piper is one of four co-founders of Firefighter Handyman, which also includes Curtis Smith. Smith launched the company as a way to give back after retirement. He served the Robbinsdale and Golden Valley Fire Departments for a total of 18 years. Such a wonderful experience, and I knew there were so many handy people that had great experience, had great backgrounds, and they wanted to do other things besides just doing firefighting or their full-time job. Curtis says the goal is to give local firefighters a way to supplement their income, have flexible hours, and use their skills for the community in a different way. It's so neat to see these people deal with different situations where the customers are having the worst day of their lives and they're being the most kind, the most understanding, listening hard to them. And it's pulling that into a service business. Handyman firefighters provide home repair, maintenance, installation, and assembly services. Most jobs that we do, we estimate about $100 an hour. 70% of that cost goes directly to the handyman. The company handles their bonding and insurance as well as project management. As a new business, Firefighter Handyman is looking to add more men and women to the team. Unfortunately, the public doesn't do searches for handy person or handy women. They do handyman. So my wife will probably uh, eventually understand why I called it that. Who knew a certain kind of fish are like people in a lot of basic ways? Scientists are fishing for answers in these tanks. At this lab in Sweden, they're scaling up their research with 20,000 zebrafish. Here we have a breeding tank where we have male fish and female zebrafish together. Researchers say since we share 70% of our genetic makeup with them, the striped fish could unlock the secrets behind a number of diseases. You can use zebrafish in everything from cancer research. You can transplant cancer cells into the zebrafish and test new cancer drugs. Last year, scientists in England found fasting affected the quality of eggs and sperm in zebrafish, suggesting people who eat less at certain hours of the day may raise their risk of developing fertility issues. But more studies are needed. Researchers in the U.S. are also up to their gills exploring the depths of anxiety and other mental health conditions. And people realized that the genetic environment of the zebrafish and the patients is the same. 
Scientists say their rise in popularity comes from the fact that they're cheaper to breed than mice and have a shorter life cycle. And that gives you the opportunity to study organ development, to study the brain development or different kind of cancer diseases in a very short time. Meaning they'll finish their research a lot quicker. Ian Lee, CBS News. There's a new gadget out there for those with discerning taste. CBS's Jim Crisula. You may never need a bartender again thanks to Ryan Close. He's created Bartesian, a cocktail-making machine small enough to sit on your kitchen counter. It can hold up to four different kinds of hard liquor and retails for $369. It allows folks to you know, select over 60 different cocktails, add the alcohol of their choice, and select the strength so they can customize it. To the, and in 20 seconds, it makes a perfectly mixed cocktail. Finally, if you're a huge Elton John fan and want more of him, now's your chance. CBS's Stacey Lynn. She packed my bags last night. The collection of Sir Elton John Goodbye Peachtree Road Auction is going down next month at Christie's in New York. Everything up for grabs is from his massive penthouse condo in Atlanta, which he bought in 1992 and sold last year for over $7 million. You can get a pair of silver platform boots with his initials on them in red. The fabulous shoes are expected to go for about 10 grand. You've got deeper pockets. diamond necklace that says the bitch is back could go for $40,000. Oh, you want more? John's Yamaha Conservatory Grand Piano could bring in around 50 grand. And the item that is expected to get the very most? A Julian Schnabel portrait of John. He's dressed in a gown and ruffled collar. They're seeking $300,000 for that. I hope you don't mind. I hope you don't mind. If all this is way too expensive for your wallet, there's a pop-up gift shop of his eyeglasses, clothes, vinyl, and other accessories that will be open online during the auction as well. The auction starts February 21st. I hope you don't mind. Stacy Lynn, CBS News. That's it for the Weekend Roundup. Thanks for listening. We want to get your feedback. Send us your thoughts and story ideas to weekendroundup at cbsnews.com. As always, you can find the program online on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. Sarah Fishman is the technical supervisor, and Alan Peng provides production assistance. Tara Lipinski is the executive producer. Have a great week. I'm Allison Keyes, CBS News. If you like CBS News Roundup, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. 
It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money, and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.